Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. I have a couple of great questions, and the first one is great. It's a new one about how to design a developmentally stimulating play space. Another class on my list for quite some time that I am going to get to soon. I have an outline for it, so I'm going to pull from that. So today, I'm going to share some general guidelines from that outline for that class. The second question is about some pretty big, long, screaming meltdowns and what to do. So I'm really excited that our growth mindset class that I have also added the topic of perfectionism into that class because it overlaps with the growth and fixed mindsets in specific ways on each of those. So I thought it was a good topic to put into that class as well. We're now in the editing phase for this class, so it will be coming out next week. I talk about what a growth versus a fixed mindset is, what perfectionism is, what it looks like, how it overlaps with each of the mindsets, and as well as how it's different. Some research on growth and fixed mindsets and what parents can do to support their child or children in cultivating a growth mindset because it doesn't happen by osmosis. Research is finding that even parents with a growth mindset have to teach their children a growth mindset. They don't seem to pick it up just by it being modeled for them. So I've gotten a lot of interest in this one over the last many months, so I'm really excited to finally be getting this one out there. In other good news, a few things are opening up around here. I hope things are opening up in your town and you feel comfortable getting out and trying out a few things. And if you don't, that's okay too. Our restaurants are starting to open. Salons are opening to 50% capacity. So I finally got to get my hair cut today. I was supposed to go the day after everything shut down. I got canceled on the night before. So that was 11 long weeks ago. I still can't go to the pool yet, but I'm definitely grateful for the things that are opening and that everyone is doing a really good job of putting in a lot of safety protocols for us. I'm also grateful that I can go support our local restaurants this next week, just in time for my birthday on Sunday. So I look forward to eating outside on the patio dining, supporting our small local business. So I just wanted to share a bit of something I'm really grateful for right now. So let's get to the questions. This question is from Nikki, and she says, I absolutely love your podcast and have gotten so much inspiration from it. And actually, it's been a big part of what has inspired me to start my new business. I love learning about child development and particularly the importance of play for learning and development. Our business is going to be a role play mini town for children ages zero to eight years old. It will have child size, child friendly versions of doctors, supermarket, hairdressers, construction site, etc. It's really important to me that we get it right in terms of creating a space that stimulates play and going deep into play as you have talked about in your podcast. 
Are there any tips or guidance you can give me to make sure we successfully achieve our goal of a fun, developmentally stimulating play space for children and caregivers to enjoy together? Thanks again for all the work you put into your podcast and classes. They have honestly helped me so much. Thanks, Nikki. Okay, so first I'm going to answer Nikki's question specifically. Then I'm going to give some tips for parents setting up a play space at home. So when my kids were little and I was thinking about starting my business, I also was thinking about opening up a location. So I checked out so many developmental play spaces and I definitely saw a lot of great ideas, things I liked, things I loved, things I would change or do differently. One of my favorite places had so many great spaces that enticed all kinds of different interests and ages. They had a separate area for infants with padded mats on the floor and padded barrier so the infants could explore to their heart's content and be in a safe space away from toddlers or a little bit older kids who might not be looking for infants on the floor. Plus, it was super clean and free of shoes, tracking dirt, and all that kind of stuff on the floor. So the infants had their own private, clean space to crawl around on the floor. There were lots of toys that were very developmental, things that were musical, they made sounds, other types of cause and effect things like crinkles, the spinners where they spin it, it spins around a circle, balls, all kinds of things for the infants to explore and play with in their own safe area. For the toddler set, there was this amazing treehouse in the middle with a slide and a whole like sort of deck around it as well. For the imaginative play, they had lots of costumes. Now costumes are really fun and kids can really get into the play. Firefighters, pirates, princesses, superheroes, animals, doctors, chefs, you name it. Kids love costumes. So this is actually a tip for Nikki as well as for parents setting up a developmental play space at home. You can never go wrong with lots of different costumes and you can get those. I got a lot of those at consignment sales and things. So they were a lot less expensive. We also went to a couple of play spaces, very much like what Nikki mentioned, these mini towns set up in sections off into different themes, things like doctor's offices, grocery stores, restaurants, police station. It was super cute. The kids definitely love it. The kids would get so worn out and be ready to crash for the afternoon when we got home. I loved when we went to these places in the morning. The one thing about these types of places is that kids play amazingly together. It's a bit tough for parents to engage. First, because the kids don't really need it because there's so many peers their age. It tends to be a bit chaotic. So parents usually, in my experience, ended up sitting on the benches around the edges, just watching to make sure their kids are playing appropriately and staying safe, as in not running around, etc. It's a nice break for parents, so as long as they can see the entire space, it's great. One of the ones I went to had the areas along two of the walls with the seating on the other two walls, so you could see your child at any time. Another one I went to had the same thing, but it was in like a U-shape. They had things set up along three of the walls, the seating along one wall. Now, of course, the walls for these themed areas were also low, so you could pretty much see into all of them. Whatever different themes areas you choose, the more props you have, the better. But it also means keeping it organized. So for a restaurant, things like menus, pads and pencils for taking orders. Now, of course, the pencils would need to be kept out of the hands of young toddlers. So if you wanna have that, you're gonna need to figure out if you're gonna check them out to older kids, make sure you get them back. I don't know, that could be a little bit tricky. Maybe you just use crayons and maybe that's fine. But kids four to eight would love this part. Now, as many food props, pots and pans, plates, cups, cooking props like blenders, mixers, of course, the costumes for chef, hat and apron, a waiter, waitress apron, anything that helps kids get into play. 
The biggest thing I also looked for as a parent was a secure entrance and exit where no child could wander out. There was usually a gate that was locked by hand, not with a key, and the staff was really good about checking the parents and the children in and out together. I had three toddlers at once, so it could be a bit tough to keep an eye on all three at once. So it just, if the play space felt really safe and secure, and like they couldn't kind of slip out, then that was really important to me. Um, kids love the mini shopping carts for the grocery shopping, but they can go a little crazy with them. So they'll end up going fast and running and sometimes running into other kids. The same with those ride-on or ride-in cars and toys. So this is something to consider if you want those or not. If you don't want the shopping carts, you could use the shopping baskets. Overall, for the planning, you want to plan for some elbow room because you want to give some room for kind of running, dancing, spinning around because, you know, toddlers and Preschoolers can get a little crazy and otherwise you get too many kids kind of squished together. It can increase the aggression between the kids. So you want to make sure they have room to kind of bump around and not bang into each other so much. If you're looking for a way for parents and their kids to engage with each other, then having either during certain times, um, you can have certain activities like art activities, reading time, that kind of thing that you have like, I don't know, like at 10 o'clock every day in a specific corner or in a specific um, table of the location. That's a way to get parents and toddlers and preschoolers interacting with each other is doing an art project either together or they each do it and just are doing it side by side, asking questions to each other about what they're making, what they're designing and interacting that way or any kind of um, building type of thing where you have a specific time where we're going to sit and build with our kids during this certain time and have certain like sort of play times for those types of things. Those are ways you could bring parents and children in together for those activities. Okay, so for home-based developmental play spaces, there's a lot to this, to, to really planning what areas you want. You can choose the items and setting them up, but I'm going to talk about some overall guidelines. For infants, you want an area where they can roll over and crawl around but stay contained unless you plan to stay there 100% of the time. But if you want an area your infant will be safe where you can still see them but be prepping a meal, you want to have a contained area that is solely for baby where they won't have access to anything unsafe like any small toys from older kids or things that adults might drop like a nut or a bolt that you might be walking through the house and drop if you're working on a project, a space that is very sectioned off specifically for the baby where you know those little things aren't going to get in there, where they're going to put it in their mouth and potentially swallow it. If your baby isn't rolling over yet, the containment isn't so important, but once they start moving, they start moving pretty fast. So once they start rolling a little bit, next thing you know, they're rolling all the way across the room. So just being prepared for that. For babies, there is a whole plethora of developmental toys, like I mentioned earlier. So also the class educational toys covers toys for development from infants to teens. So when you're playing with baby, if baby's starting to move or getting ready to move, you can put a toy just out of reach of your baby. If your baby is getting close to rolling over, it will entice him or her to keep working on it. Or if they're getting close to crawling or scooting, it will entice them to really try to reach that toy. If your baby is still not rolling over, an overhead floor play area they can reach for a grab while they're on their back. Also, be sure to work on some tummy time after their two months of age. It's okay if they get a little fussy 
They don't love tummy time, most of them. They can get a little bit frustrated, but not overly so. When they start to get a little too frustrated, flip them back over on their back. You don't want them to just be miserable. For toddlers and preschoolers, so many options. It's so fun to see toddlers get so immersed in their play, the ideas that they come up with. It's just incredible. I'm gonna get into all of these options and some general guidelines and tips and toys that you can use to set up for toddlers, plus answer Aubrey's question about major meltdowns as soon as we come back after a word from our sponsor. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look and some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads. Love where you live. Now that we're back after the break from our sponsor, let's get to the options for preschoolers and toddlers. So when you're thinking of setting up developmental play spaces, you want to think about all the areas of development. Gross motor, which is the big muscles, arms, legs, trunk of the body, and neck. 
Things like big balls, they can throw, they can run after, they can kick, or they can play catch. Now we're talking catching with both hands right now. A toddler basketball hoop and a ball, they can put, try to put through that. A climbing structure, a mini trampoline with safety netting, balance bikes or ride-on toys, tricycles as they get older and more coordinated and they can both steer and pedal at the same time. Fine motor play, these are the hands and the fingers and the wrists, a little bit of the forearms. So this is anything from blocks to cars to trains, art supplies, writing supplies. Any developmental toy will support cognitive development, that's brain development. Most of these toys are going to support multiple areas of development. And I go into that in a lot more detail in the You're Developing series, You're Developing Infant, Toddler, and Preschooler. Lots of stuff in there on all these kinds of development, what you should expect by age and ways to support that. But here's some more about setting up the developmental play space, which will also encourage all these types of development. So there are many areas you can create. There's lots of options, so you wanna pick and choose what you'd like to have, or if you visit some developmental play space or spaces, see what your children gravitate towards. So for a science area, here's just a few ideas to get started. You could do magnets, you could do a sand table or a water table. You don't have to get the big expensive sand and water tables. You can actually get a big long plastic tub. You can fill it with sand and sand toys that let kids sift or shape the sand if you get it wet. Lots of different options out there for them to see the physics of the way the sand works. Or you can fill it with water and different water toys that squirt and do that type of thing. You can set up building and construction engineering areas, so things like blocks, trains, toy cars, Duplo. You could do a play kitchen area. You could do costumes. You can do an art center. You can do an easel, do things like markers. Now you want to keep these put away and use them supervised. Crayons, Play-Doh. These are just things for starters. There's so many options. You can set up a reading area, a writing center. Now when I create the class, I'm gonna go into details about all of these options, all the different types of things you could put in there, the ways to store them, to keep them out of kids' reach, or the things that are okay for them to have within their reach whenever they would like. Now, I wanna to get to Aubrey's question also. It's a bit long, so I'm gonna to try to cut it down a bit, because I think we're gonna go over a little bit today. But So Aubrey wrote, Dear Erin, I really enjoy listening to your podcast and have learned some really valuable parenting strategies. I am writing to you now because my husband and I are struggling to find a way to help our three and a half year old's tantrums. She's our oldest, our younger daughter is nine months. My three-year-old is sometimes the first to jump up and give the baby a toy or pacifier, whatever she may need. When our older daughter throws these tantrums, it scares the baby, which leads to a cycle of seemingly endless screaming as our toddler then feels guilty that she made her sister cry. I feel like I've tried everything and would love some ideas for what to do next. We get a couple types of tantrums, one we have under control, but the type that we're requesting help does not appear to have a trigger. I can assume there is something that sets her off, but we have no idea what these things are, and they happen randomly. So for example, this week she had two of these tantrums in the car. She's happily playing or singing or talking with us, and then out of nowhere begins screaming, like almost crashed the car because it's so startling, screaming. It is as if she's suddenly caught on fire, blood curdling, top of her lungs, nothing we do calms her down. If it's not in the car, we offer to hug her. If we are in the car all together, I will offer to hold her hand when my husband is driving. 
We try having her take deep breaths because she ends up hyperventilating and coughing, sometimes to the point of vomiting. Try asking her questions. Are you hurt? Are you scared? Are you sad? Are you mad? Do you need help? She does not respond in any way, just continues to scream as if we were not even there. These screaming fits last around 25 to 45 minutes, and she is completely inconsolable. When she finally calms down, she will sometimes communicate to us what was wrong. The first time this week, it was because we went up the ramp onto the interstate, and she wanted to go under the overpass instead. The second time, it was because the Pop-Tart she was eating broke. We didn't know these things until after the 40-minute screaming fit ended. When it ends, we talk about using our words and asking for help, things she's normally very good at doing. We talk about feeling frustrated and angry and that her screaming so loudly and suddenly scares us and the baby. She's very smart and articulate and does not have trouble communicating with people about how she feels or what she wants. She will even comment accurately when other people do things and understands their feelings. Mommy, that man gave the boy a cookie. That was so nice. That makes the boy happy. Or why is that little girl sad? Did she fall down and get an owie? Or mommy, I'm sad I didn't get to go play on the swings today because it was raining. These tantrums have been happening for about a year and she seems to go in phases where they will be frequent and severe and then there'll be a few and far between and then go back to tantruming. During one of the first tough phases, we took her to the doctor as well as to a play therapist, hoping to find out if there was a medical reason for her behavior, but both determined she was healthy and well-adjusted. We saw the therapist for about four months, and she said she was nurturing and showed that she was comfortable and well taken care of in the home. This was comforting to me because I felt like I was doing something horribly wrong to have her struggle so badly when faced with these emotions. I think it's important to mention that the second type only happens at home or in the car. Her teachers at daycare say she's always happy, helpful, polite, kind, and she is communicating and learning at the top of her class with the kids who are sometimes a full year or more older than her. I don't know if it's related, but she does also suffer from night terrors. These are nights where she wakes up having the same type of screaming fit and will be inconsolable as if we're not there for over 30 minutes. We hold her to make sure she doesn't hurt herself, but there's nothing we can do. When these fits are over, she falls asleep and doesn't remember them the next morning. One of my thoughts was that her daytime outbursts could be related to exhaustion and started keeping track of when she had the night terrors and if it is related to her daytime outbursts, but there did not seem to be a direct link. Do you have any suggestions for the next steps we can take to help our girl through these struggles? Thanks, Aubrey. So a lot of detail, a lot of great detail that really helps. Aubrey, you've done an amazing job at problem solving this. I'm glad to hear all the work you've done and that she is healthy both physically and emotionally. So here are my thoughts just based on what you've given me. First is that she seems to be able to maintain her composure outside the home, only has difficulty with the family. Now, at first, this may not feel like a compliment, but young kids work so hard to maintain composure when they are with their peers and their teachers because they aren't as comfortable letting it all go. So what this tells me is two things. Number one, she's just very comfortable with her family. And so when she's feeling particularly bad or overwhelmed, she just feels safe to let it all go. Number two, that she does have the capacity to maintain control, and with time she will develop this ability at home as well. And those are both really positive things. One of the things to work on with her, and I have a couple things, but this first one is her foundation of emotional skills. I love that she can recognize emotions in others and even can share her own in a very articulate way at many times. And these are all really great signs of the development of her emotion skills that is happening. 
great news. It seems like the biggest struggle are with the stronger emotions. They seem to be triggered by a lack of control over a situation. I'm really glad you charted the sleep terrors and that sounds totally 100% like sleep terrors. I think you're right. It's that yelling, screaming, and not remembering in the morning is a sleep terror. Kids usually do grow out of this by about five, so I hope that will happen for you because I know that can be really terrifying for parents. The kids don't remember it, which is really good because it seems really awful. So the fact that you didn't see a pattern or don't seem to be seeing a pattern because that's something I would have wondered as well, is if that interrupted sleep was making her less able to handle her emotions during the day. But it seems like you, for the most part, probably cleared that up. I wouldn't rule it out. It could be still that it is affecting it, but probably not a whole lot or to the extent that it's a, a real cause and effect. In addition to continuing to work on her emotional foundation, and I'm going to get into some ways to do this, of recognizing her emotions and working towards sharing them differently, you also want to help her work on her coping strategies. So in the class on temperament, one of the nine temperament traits is feelings aware. So this, I'm going to go back to the emotional side, then I'm going to get back to the coping. This is the level of awareness of feelings, both our own feelings and others. She's obviously highly feelings aware. She's aware of others and seems to be highly aware even of her own. But kids with highly feelings aware tend to act on their feelings rather than thinking things through. So this is where you'll really want to work on the feelings vocabulary. The best time to build emotion skills is during quiet times. Think of a math problem. Now this would be with an older child, but just bear with me here. You want to think of a math problem your child encounters and it could look completely foreign to your child. They don't know how to get started. They panic. They have a panic attack over this math problem. They're in tears. They're frustrated. They can't even look at it. You can't try to teach your child how to do the math. We're in the middle of the panic attack. They will only learn the math when they're calm. It's the same for emotion skills. I know it seems a little double-edged sword because the skill they need to learn is the skill that they're now being confronted with not being able to use. But when a child is in the midst of a tantrum or a meltdown, they are not in their logical brains at all. And your daughter is definitely exhibiting all these traits. Some kids, you can kind of get in there a little bit, but she is just not there. She's not in her logical brain. You're not able to reach her. So it's really difficult, if not impossible, to reach them during that time. You can label the emotion in that moment. This is the one thing you can do with a child who is just completely inconsolable, completely unreachable. When a child is in the midst of a tantrum or a meltdown, you can label the emotion in that moment. This is the one thing that can help them equate the emotion with the word. So this is the one thing in that moment that you can do to potentially help them in the long run. They then can start to equate this feeling I have is frustration. It's overwhelm. It's anger, whatever. You can take the emotion, label it. I can see you are really frustrated right now. I can tell you're really overwhelmed about something. I would like to hear about it when you calm down. You can say it once. You can repeat it so that she continues to make the connection. You can ask that she stop screaming, but I wouldn't expect it. That's up to you. I don't expect it will do much until she gets to a place where things are less upsetting to her. So really just labeling that emotion. During the quiet times, lots of asking how she's feeling. How are you feeling right now? 
Tell me about how you're feeling right now. Those types of things. Teach her a big vocabulary for feeling words. Frustrated, angry, surprised, scared, anxious, overwhelmed, stressed, tired, happy, peaceful, playful, hurt, sad, disgusted. You get the idea. Tons and tons of words. Hundreds for emotions. As she gets older, you can increase her vocabulary, her emotional vocabulary. You want to read books about emotions. Now I have lists in the classes for books about emotions and books about anger. I know that you were a member for a bit. I hope you downloaded those and took copies of those so that you have them. If you don't, you can do an Amazon search. You can find a ton. Just look up books about emotions for toddlers and you'll find a ton. Discuss what you're reading. So while you're reading the book, discuss what you're reading. Talk about the characters. Talk about why they're angry. Talk about her scenarios and her reactions and what she could do instead the next time when you're in these quiet times. And I'm going to get back to a few tips in a minute, but I want to also talk about another temperamental trait. And I'm wondering if she's low in adaptability. This means resistant to change. Um, there's definitely some inflexibility. So when she doesn't get things, when things don't go as she expects them to, she really struggles with that. So this could be an adaptability issue, but I can't really tell. The other temperamental trait that this may also be falling under is intensity, which is the level to which a child shares their emotions. They're intense. They share them very big. But again, these are a lot of areas to go over, and I'm not even totally sure if she's falling into these or not. So if you think this pertains to her, I'd check out the temperament class. Watch at least those two additional sections as well. You might even want to go into the feelings aware section a little more deeply, but I did cover uh, the main points that I think will help with her at this point. So here's a couple of tips to help children learn to cope better with this issue, with the flexibility issue. First, you want to give her control where you can within boundaries. So which clothes and shoes she wears, staying weather appropriate, obviously. So sneakers or sandals in the summer, right? Which fruit or vegetable she has for a meal, which park to go to, when to clean up the toys, like now or in five minutes. You want to give her as many choices throughout the day as you can. This will help her balance out the times when she doesn't have as much control. A few tips for teaching some coping skills. You want to have a coaching session. Talk about her and her strong emotions, and you can do this many times. Ask her where she feels a certain emotion in her body. Help her recognize and connect the feeling in her body with the word for the emotion. So does she feel it up in her throat? Does she feel it by her heart? Does she feel it in her stomach? You know, when we get angry, a lot of times we'll feel it in our stomach. Sometimes when we feel that we've been wronged, you will feel it in our throat, something like that. So help her recognize where she feels it in her body. Then when she starts to feel that, you want to help her find another way to release that feeling that's building up before it takes over. Can she take some deep breaths? Some kids are really physical, so running a lap around the couch or around the yard really helps them bring their emotions down. In the car, she can't do this. Obviously, she can't go running around. But you want to talk with her about what method or methods seem like the best fit for her to help her calm down when she's quiet so you can coach it and lay this foundation when she's calm. Help her practice this during quiet times. So you want to talk about it. You'll have her pick something. Does she have a lovey that she really, really likes to snuggle? Give her several options. Let her pick one that she wants to try. Then have her practice it right then in that moment. If she says she wants to try five deep breaths, have her practice it. 
If she says, I want to have my lovey, my bunny, or whatever she has to snuggle, great, have her practice it. You're going to walk through the scenario, and then what are you going to do? I'm going to grab my bunny. She's going to grab her bunny. She's going to hug it tight. You want these practice sessions during the quiet times when she's calm, where these lessons will sink in the most. I hope these give you some places to start and some comfort in also understanding the positive signs in her development that she is showing and her connection to you as a family. To see samples of any of the over 50 classes, including temperament, tantrums, your developing infant, toddler, or preschooler, which is all the information and tips on supporting all the areas of development, including through play-based learning activities and toys, as well as educational toys, on and on, go to yourvillageonline.com. Also, don't forget that the memberships do come with a weekly parent chat, private chat with me once a week where parents join in on the chat, get their questions answered by me. So far every week, I've been able to answer every parent's question that has come up. So we'd love to see you on that as well. As you begin to head out into the world a bit more, please stay safe and healthy. And as always, if you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.